thank you very much for uh, this uh, kind presentation. Um, thank you very much uh, for, for the invitation uh, and uh, thanks to everyone for, for being here. Uh, it is a great pleasure for me to be giving this presentation to, uh, to this group uh, and uh, uh, I'm sorry I can't physically uh, be in Oxford uh, with you. Uh, of course, maybe we wouldn't have some of the participants that uh, that we have uh, today. Uh, so, um, without further ado, I'm going to go into the presentation. Um, so, I'm going to discuss equity in international law, and um, um, I will I will indeed draw uh, from um, the recent book my recent book on, on the function of equity in international law. Uh, but that said, I'm not going to present the book. I'm going to uh, present a part of the argument um, that um, I developed in the book, and that is that equity is part of international law. So this is a position that may be contested and not everyone will agree with me. Um, so I will again focus on part of, of um, uh, of this um, argument, which is the main argument uh, in, in the book. Um, I would like to start by saying that my interest in equity uh, is part of a bigger interrogation about uh, justice and international law. The purpose of equity is to do justice. And uh, um, the question that uh, one can ask is, uh, you know, does international law do justice? Does international law have the potential to do justice? And even uh, can we even perceive of um, a concept of justice as such in, in international law, you know, a, a concept that um, may be understood in the same way by everyone? Um, I'm not going to, uh, I don't even pretend to, to try to answer these questions. Um, I just wanted to give the context um, for equity. Uh, and uh, in the time that I have, um, what I'm going to do is first I'm going to discuss what equity is. Uh, I will not try to give a definition of equity. Equity is un understood in so many different ways um, that um, I think that an attempt to define equity is not uh, particularly useful. I will try to focus on the content um, of equity and I will try to focus on examples uh, or to, to show what equity uh, can do. Uh, and um, that will be the first uh, part of, of my presentation. Uh, and uh, in the second part, uh, I'm going to discuss, um, again, part of my argument why equity is part of international uh, law today. So I start then with what equity is, what we understand uh, by equity. Many definitions have been given. Uh, so different authors have said any of the following um, things. Equity is that which is fair and equity, uh, sorry, fair and reasonable in the administration of justice. It is the installation of reasonableness and good faith in legal relations. It is an attribute of a developed legal system, an agent of legal change and an element in the progressive development of international law. I like particularly these last two elements, an agent of legal change and an element in the progressive development of international law. 
as descriptions of equity, and I'm going to come back uh, to, to these points. A direct emanation of the idea of justice is what um, the Court of Justice, the International Court of Justice, uh, said about equity. It is a direct emanation of the idea of justice. Equity requires a balancing of competing interests. It encompasses a body of legal principles designed to critique the law and to encourage fairness in international relations. It is what is just and fair, an element of law that ushers ethical values into the legal norms. It is justice normatively expressed as law. These are just some of the, um, the definitions or descriptions of equity um, that um, have been given. And equity can be all that. Uh, and yet none of these descriptions or almost none captures the essence of what equity is. Because equity is so many things and even some of these definitions are contradictory between them. So for example, to say that equity is an element that critiques the law uh, is of course something that goes contrary to, to my argument that uh, equity is part of the law. Uh, and uh, yet there are instances where equity can have a corrective function. Um, so I think we need to move beyond um, the, uh, you know, trying to give a definition of equity. And uh, we should focus rather on, on the content of equity, on the function or functions of equity, on what equity uh, does and what it can do. Now, in part because of the, the uncertainty that surrounds equity, its use has generally been accompanied by statements of caution. We have a fear of judicial discretion being exercised at the expense of legal certainty. And this has made international judges and arbitrators wary about invoking uh, equity too often, at least outside the context of uh, uh, maritime boundary delimitations, uh, where it has become traditional, uh, so to speak, to actually invoke uh, equity. Uh, but generally, judges and arbitrators, especially judges, when they invoke equity, they're at pains to stress that, in fact, they're applying equity uh, within the law. I would like to to move on with the description of equity um, and um, give an example of a, a particular uh, type of equity, uh, corrective equity. And um, for this, I need to, to go to Aristotle and um, mention uh, or quote um, something that Aristotle said and which gives a good example of uh, how equity uh, can, can work. So, Knowing that this is not, um, again, this is a description of part of what equity uh, can do. Uh, so Aristotle said, uh, when the legislator passes a law, this law is general in nature. And so when the law makes a universal statement and a particular case arises that falls outside this statement, it is appropriate to correct the legislator's omission or error, omission or error that were due to the generality uh, of the, uh, the legal norm by acting as the legislator would have acted 
if the legislator were present and had known. So this is a description of a particular type of equity, corrective equity, uh, or corrective justice, equity as corrective justice. And um, of course, immediately it reveals all these concerns that uh, we tend to have about equity, um, that, uh, um, I don't know, the judges and arbitrators uh, may be replacing the, the legislator or in international law, really the, um, you know, states and uh, treaty parties. And yet equity is all about the application of an application interpretation of law in rather having regard to the specific circumstances of a case. And um, today I will be using a lot um, ancient authors. So I will continue with an example from, um, from Cicero. Um, so discussing sumum use summa injuria, Cicero gave the example of a truce called between Sparta and Argos uh, for a number of days. So the truce specified that it would last for a number of days. So the, um, the, the Spartan king ambushed the Argives by night and um, the Spartans killed some and they took others as prisoners. And so when his disgruntled enemies confronted him with a reproach that uh, he had breached his oath, he said that in fact he had never agreed not to attack by night since the truce stipulated days. And so this is an example of um, how, again, it's an example that Cicero uh, brings, uh, and it's an example of how equity uh, could, could function in a, in a corrective uh, manner um, by, uh, you know, if we try to apply what um, Aristotle said, uh, by seeing that, uh, well, the truce um, stipulated days, the truce would last uh, for X number of days, um, but um, in fact, uh, if the, if the, the treaty parties uh, had known um, that uh, uh, such an interpretation might be put upon uh, this clause by, uh, by the Spartans, uh, they would probably have included days and nights because clearly uh, the, the truce was meant to not only last during the day, but also uh, during the night. Uh, and uh, we could arrive, of course, at the same result by a simple good faith interpretation uh, of the truce. Uh, and uh, uh, as I, I may have the time to, to explain later, uh, good faith for me is also an equitable principle. Good faith itself is a manifestation of equity. Right, so... Um, we do have, though, problems accepting equity as part of the law. Um, I, I, I do hope that the example that I gave shows that um, the application of even corrective equity uh, need not be something that's scary. Uh, that uh, you know, in this case, uh, it would uh, follow the you know a good faith interpretation of the of the terms of the truce, uh, and one would need anyway to interpret uh, a treaty in good faith in accordance with the Vienna Convention on the Law of Treaties. 
Uh, and equity has to look at the specific circumstances of a case. Um, so with this, I hope I have given a, a general idea of uh, what, um, what equity um, is. Uh, again, my purpose here is not uh, to be comprehensive. This is what I, I try to do in the book. Uh, but now I'm just raising some elements that I can hope can create a discussion, can lead to discussion and, and create a debate. But equity is generally seen as being something outside the law. Uh, most of you will uh, probably know we have this traditional distinction of equity infra legum, so equity within the law, equity preta legum, so equity that exists alongside the law that fills the gaps that exist in the law, and equity contra legum. Uh, and uh, in fact, um, this is a very useful uh, heuristic device, uh, but it is also um, something that um, in, in the book I have addressed in, in, in one chapter, this traditional distinction of, of equity, and uh, it is something that I have rejected um, because I, I think that equity can never exist really uh, contra legum. It is a, a contradiction uh, to, to discuss of an equity that contradicts uh, the law. Uh, what it can do is contradict the letter of the law. Um, for instance, when we have a, um, a, a teleological interpretation, um, the interpretation may uh, at the end um, contradict the letter of the law, but um, it does not uh, that but equity does not um, does not go against the law uh, itself. Uh, one of the reasons, besides um, uh, what I mentioned, um, that why we're afraid of equity, um, and um, I mentioned this this fear of uh, the fact that uh, we see equity as something that can uh, lead to a judicial discretion that uh, uh, that ends up uh, not respecting. Uh, uh, treaty terms um, that is seen as uh, very much something subjective um, is also that uh, it's also this idea that um, equity is something that uh, belongs to uh, to natural uh, law, uh, whatever that is. I think that this this fear is actually exaggerated, and. Um, um, for, for one thing, I think we need to, to move beyond this idea that um, uh, the judge or the arbitrator invokes or applies equity when they mention, when they use the words equity, when they use the words equitable. Um, so I think that the judge or the arbitrator, in order to apply equity, does not have to, to use the terms equity and that it is wrong to, to only look for equity when, when the, the very word is used uh, in a judicial uh, decision um, in, 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 and so on. Uh, so we have many equitable principles uh, and uh, um, I will give you some, some examples. So we have, um, I already mentioned good faith. Um, good faith is an equitable principle. Uh, we have estoppel, we have acquiescence, uh, clean hands doctrine, uh, and, and so on. And this is just to give an example of the fact that uh, we have these principles that are equitable principles and that are being used uh, every day 
by international judges and arbitrators uh, and uh, without batting an eyelid, uh, so to speak. Uh, and, uh, and these are, at the end of the day, applications of equity. So the judge or the arbitrator does not need uh, to, to invoke equity. Um, human rights themselves uh, are, they, they derive from equity. Human rights come from equity. Uh, and so when we have when these when these principles, you know, estoppel, acquiescence, good faith uh, are applied, we don't necessarily think of equity. I think most likely we don't think of equity. We, we, we just uh, we, there are so well established in international law um, that uh, um, we see them as something autonomous rather than as forming part uh, of, um, of an abstract concept of equity. Of course, there is also an extra legal concept of equity. We have equity in philosophy. We have equity in, uh, I don't know, even religion, equity in morals. Uh, but my argument is that the legal concept of equity, equity as we resort to it, in international law, as it is resorted to by international courts and tribunals, this concept is part of international law. And I think one of the ways in which uh, we, can, um, uh, we can better understand uh, why, for one thing, uh, we may think that equity is not part of international law, uh, and uh, also a way of understanding at the same time why equity is, is part of international law, according to my argument uh, at least, is to consider the history of the evolution of equity. So I think that part of the reason why equity is sometimes seen as um, something that is outside the law, something that contradicts the law, and uh, by the same token is something that sometimes needs to be feared, comes from the division of equity in common law systems, the division between equity and, and the common law. And I think for this reason, it is interesting to consider the history of the evolution of equity. And that's why I said at the beginning, I will be referring a lot to, uh, to, to ancient uh, times uh, today. Um, and uh, so I would like to take us back to, to Roman law uh, to consider the evolution of equity uh, in, in a very broad manner from then uh, to uh, today. Uh, so in Roman times, the, um, so equity was expressed in um, Roman uh, Praetorian law. Roman Praetorian law was made by the Praetor, who was a, a magistrate. And so upon taking office, the Praetor would, would issue an edict introducing the actions and remedies that he would accept. And he would also announce the principles that would guide his actions. So this was a system that would be in parallel to the Ius Civile, and the Ius Civile, uh, of course, has given uh, its name to, to civil law, but at the same time, it can also be seen as an equivalent of the common law. 
So in, in Roman times, we have this development of two separate um, systems. One, they use civile, uh, they, again, uh, for the sake of simplicity, the common law, let's say, and um, they, they, they use praetorium, which is this law made by the, the praetors. So praetorian edict would normally be valid for one year, but they tended to be renewed from one year to the next, uh, and the, the new operators would uh, tend to add to the, um, uh, the actions and remedies uh, that their predecessors would have already uh, created. Praetorian law was intended to soften the rigidity of the U Civile, uh, which was a combination of statutory and um, customary uh, law. And As time went on, the role of uh, Praetorian law diminished, and during the reign of the Emperor Hadrian, there was a codification. We had the Julian codification, and with the codification, the division between the Ius Civile and the Ius Praetorium ended. And um, I would like to, to remind you of, of a, uh, in certain ways, similar development uh, that happened with the distinct strains of uh, equity and the common law uh, in the 18th century in, in common law uh, systems. And so with a codification, with a Julian uh, codification, um, the distinction between the civile and um, the, uh, the equitable law, the Praetorian law uh, ended, and the equitable principles that underlay the Praetorian edicts were subsumed in the codification. So equity, what was seen as a separate remedy, as a separate right, as an equitable remedy and, and an equitable right became part of the hard law. And um, generally, sorry. <coughs> so, um, we have a number of Roman equitable remedies that are actually part of the international law acquis today. I will give you two examples. The equitable Roman remedy of the interdict, which corresponds to the English chancery's injunction, is reflected in the ability today of international courts and tribunals uh, to order provisional measures. When an international court or tribunal issues or, or orders provisional measures, do we think that this is an application of equity? No, we don't. And, and this is so uh, commonplace. And yet, these provisional measures started as an equitable remedy. Another example, the Equitable Roman remedy of restitutio in integrum is part of the contemporary law on state responsibility, and we have even kept the Roman uh, name. So these remedies are so well rooted in international law in the international law mainstream that we no longer perceive them as manifestations of equity. And uh, the impact of uh, Roman equitable rights such as latches, acquiescence, estoppel, uh, also parallel um, this uh, development. Uh, 
And so this is another way uh, in which um, international law has incorporated equity or equity has become a part uh, of um, the, the hard law of today. Now, of course, what happened in, um, rather what happened later was that uh, in, in civil law systems that were, were inspired by the Julian codification, equity became part of the legal norms. And so the, the code systems themselves included equity. Of course, this is not what happened um, in, in common law jurisdictions. Um, so um, I realized we have a, uh, we have a, a, a mixed uh, group of, of people today and uh, probably not everyone uh, is familiar uh, with, uh, with um, um, English, uh, English law and equity in, in English law. So uh, I, will, I will just very briefly uh, give an overview of how um, equity came to, uh, to, to, to be and to function in, um, in English law. Um, so the, the Chancellor, who was a member of the King's Council, was involved in the administration of justice. And um, when there was, um, um, a, when someone needed uh, to commence an action in the common law courts, it was necessary to obtain a, a royal writ. The royal writ was issued by the office of the Chancellor. And uh, from the middle of the 13th century, there was an attempt to, to rein the, the chancellor in and so to, to limit the chancellor's power. And so the chancellor could no longer award uh, new reads for the common law courts unless a king and council had consented. And so in order to bypass this limitation on, on his power, the chancellor eventually decided to, uh, to keep the petitioner's requests within his chancery. And so he started to develop uh, these equitable uh, remedies and actions. And uh, the, the petitions uh, that, uh, that are known as bills were initially addressed to the king, then they started to be addressed uh, to the chancellor. And so this later created, to, uh, sorry, led to the creation of the first, the establishment of the first equity courts in, in the mid of the 14th century. And uh, by that time, the common law had lost its flexibility uh, owing to the, the strict, um, strictly formulated rules and uh, possibly especially uh, by the, um, the, the, uh, the hardening effect of um, uh, binding precedent. And so it was necessary to have this a parallel system uh, that would uh, introduce some flexibility. Uh, to, um, to the legal system. Uh, and so equity developed as an alternative jurisdiction, uh, very much like in Roman law in order to, to furnish relief uh, to those who did not have an adequate remedy uh, at common law. And so, of course, later, more recently, um, in the 18th century, in the mid um, uh, 1800s uh, in the United States, a little later in, in England, if I remember the dates uh, correctly, uh, the two systems uh, became merged, the common law and equity. Uh, but I think this centuries-old distinction has to some extent led to this perception 
this perception which is um, um, which, which is not limited to uh, to to common law systems, but uh, also as civil lawyers may think like that. But there is no clear distinction, I think, between um, how common lawyers will think and how civil lawyers uh, will think about equity and equity's relationship to to law. Um, so I think that this centuries-old division between equity and the common law has led to to this perception has carried over into international law and um, many will now see equity as something that is that that stands outside uh, the law uh, something that is inferior to international law um, and um, i think it is important to to consider uh, this development uh, of equity uh, and um, it is important to separate perceptions uh, from uh, from the content uh, of equity. Of course, you can tell me that I come from a common law. Sorry, I come. I don't come from a common law jurisdiction. I come from a civil law jurisdiction, and um, and maybe this is why I think the way I do. This is a possibility, but I, I do think that um, uh, this is something that uh, doesn't ultimately have to do with. Uh, um, how, or whether one comes from a common law jurisdiction or a civil law jurisdiction, uh, because when we look at the um, international um, scholarly writings, uh, we see that uh, common lawyers um, think, uh, may think that equity is part of international law, and we have civil lawyers who, who may think that uh, equity and law uh, are separate. Uh, I was just trying to say that I think that the the distinction, uh, the division between equity and the common law is something that somehow has uh, trickled into uh, international law and uh, there is a persistent um, um, perception uh, among um, some international lawyers um, that um, uh, equity is in fact something that's uh, separate uh, from law. And um, um, I think that um, um, I still that I see that I still have uh, uh, more time, but I'm I'm drawing to to a close. So um, in a few minutes, not not yet. Um, again, this is this is part of my argument of why equity is part of international law. Equity is continuously or continually incorporated in law and. What in the past were equitable innovations uh, that um, uh, could create uh, um, you know, fear, resentment, uh, that could appear to be something outside the law, in fact, today form part and parcel of international law. And um, uh, provisional measures and uh, uh, restitution and integrum are only uh, two examples of that. Um, again, estoppel, acquiescence, clean hands, good faith. We can think of other principles that um, are more or less recognized. Proportionality, uh, for example, um, again, another, uh, another equitable principle. Um, and um, again, when international judges and arbitrators apply them, we don't think of equity, uh, but equity is there. Equity is at the, is the foundation of, of these uh, principles. Um, and uh, I would just like to stress that uh, this is only, in the book, this is only 
one small part of, of my argument as to why equity um, is part of international law. So, for instance, uh, I consider whether equity is uh, can be seen as a source of international law in light of Article 38 of um, the Statute of the International Court of Justice and what type of, uh, of source. And, and I respond to this in the positive. Um, but this is, uh, this is for a whole different uh, discussion. Um, so um, uh, I, will, I will close with, um, with some final remarks, and that is that um, equity is continuously incorporated in international law. I've already said this, uh, but I would like to add that um, as equity is incorporated in international law, it tends to harden. So one can ask, okay, um, provisional measures were an equitable remedy when they were invented for the first time, uh, are they still a manifestation of equity? I mean, they originate in equity, but uh, do they, um, you know, is, the, is our perception of equity today um, such that it, it encompasses provisional measures or uh, provisional measures are not really equitable because, uh, um, because we don't perceive them as a, as a, as a function of, of equity. Uh, because it's something that that has hardened into law, uh, and uh, it is no longer flexible in a way. Uh, it depends on the procedural uh, rules, uh, of course. Um, maybe it's, it's not a very good example, in fact, because provisional measures uh, tend to uh, to be um, an international court of tribunal uh, can order provisional measures uh, when it considers that the circumstances require. Um, the, the imposition of, of such measures. And uh, when we're looking at the particular circumstances, uh, we are uh, very often considering equity. So equity is this, the, the, the consideration of the specific circumstances they're taking into account of the particular circumstances uh, is uh, something that can point to an application of, of equity. And so, Equity incorporated in law hardens, and that means that there is a need for a new need for equity continuously. So the, you know, this work of incorporating equity into the law, uh, of new equity into the law, is not finished. And I will close with a, a quote uh, from uh, Roscoe Pound. Um, he wrote uh, many, many years ago uh, that um, uh, law is stable, yet cannot stand still. Law is in need of change. Society evolves, um, our ethics evolve, and law needs to change as society changes. And equity is an element uh, that helps uh, law evolve and uh, helps law develop uh, and it is a link, ultimately, between what the law was in the past and what the law is going to be tomorrow. Thank you very much.